Let's pray together. Father, we are so desperately in need of you. And we just so often push you aside and put you on the back burner. And I just pray that you will give us the strength to put you first in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he put his final touch on creation by reaching down and from the dust forming a man. The first man. But it was not until God himself breathed into man the breath of life that we actually became fully alive. And in that moment, we were set apart from the rest of creation because we weren't just merely alive. We became spiritual. God's breath flows through our lungs. It's His breath that flows through the empty spaces of our lives that make up who we are. Spiritual beings who were created for something so much more than just this world. And yet it feels like somewhere down the line we lost it. You know, we lost that spiritual piece of our lives. We lost that connection that we had with the Creator. Now it's just easier to go through the motions of life and to do the daily grind than it is to try to work at keeping that spiritual part of our lives alive. If we're honest about it, I think that the spiritual aspect of our lives scares us a bit. Because really, it threatens the way that we live out our lives. It threatens our daily routine. It may even threaten some of the things that we want and that we do. And so we keep our spirituality safely tucked away in the back corner of our lives like a distant memory until eventually we forget that it's even there. But from time to time, when you see a wave roll in, when you catch a sunset, when you drive past a mountain, there is something that tugs at our hearts that lets us know that there really is something more. And we are not as big and magnificent as we think we are in our heads, but really we're part of something much bigger than just us. We're part of something that goes way beyond the realm of this world. Man, you can feel that. I don't know about you, but summer sometimes just sucks us dry, and uh, we just feel like we have nothing left, but when you have a moment like that, you know there is this tugging 
at your heart. I think one of the biggest challenges that we face in the Christian faith is to kind of maintain consistent spiritual growth. Because, you know, when we first become a Christian, when we first kind of encounter that radical love of God for the first time, everything just feels so kind of fresh and new, and you feel like you got this second chance and a fresh start, and it all goes down from there pretty quick. There are times, I think, when we see like a glimmer of growth when maybe we feel inspired by some message that we heard on a Sunday morning or we are moved by a great time of worship or a song and images like that. But how do you capture that? And how do you consistently have this walk with God that is like this everyday, vibrant, growing connection with God? Someone once asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment that's out there? In other words, if we could just get one thing right in this life, what would it be? And Jesus said, without even flinching, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. It's taking everything that you're about, everything that's in your mind, everything that's in your heart, everything that is in your soul, in in other words, everything that makes you, you, and pouring it all into just one thing, loving God. It's living for God with such a passion that it goes beyond just the motions of doing Religion. It goes way beyond just reading the Bible or being a good moral person. This is about pouring your whole being into something. Because as Greg visually described for us on the first week of this series with the jar, we're all going to fill our lives with something. The question remains, what will you fill your life with? How will you fill your jar? In the Old Testament times of kings and prophets and plagues and droughts comes a story about how God works in our lives. Elisha, who was one of the great prophets of God, who had like this direct connection to God, at one point was directed by God to go to the home of this poor widow whose life and her son's lives were on the verge of falling apart. When it looked like she was going to lose everything, when it looks like she's going to break, God shows up in the form of Elisha. And before he can even get a word out of his mouth, in 2 Kings chapter 4, it says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now it sounds to me like this woman is in the midst of some pretty tough times. And she has every right to be a bit resentful 
Her husband hung out with the prophets. He was one of their servants. He was a faithful follower of God, and look where it got him. He's dead, she's broke, and now she's also about to lose her kids as well. This widow has her back up against the wall, and she has no means of paying the debt that has been left to her by her dead husband, and the bank is not only coming to probably take her home, but in those days, the way you pay off the debt is that they take your kids to work as slaves for the rest of their lives, or at least until the debt is paid off. Which sounds like a pretty good plan to me, by the way. So, Needless to say, she's hurting. She's in a tough moment. And Elisha, in a very profound way, just says, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? What in the world kind of question is that? What do you have in your house? I think when you ask God to come into your life, that you have to be prepared to ask answer a lot of questions, not the least of which is, what do you have in your house? How much capacity do you have? What is the jar of your life filled up with? Are you so full of the wrong stuff that there really is no capacity for God in your life? Well, I'm sure the widow was thinking to herself, Good prophets must be really hard to come by these days because this one is a little slow. I just told them I got nothing. But then she reveals that she also does have this, a little bit of oil in her house. Now here's where the story takes a little twist. Just when you think all is hopeless, this woman comes out with this small jar with a small bit of oil in it. What you need to know is that oil in that day was used as currency because it was considered to be a precious commodity, much like gold is thought of today. And this woman has the tiniest amount of oil, which represents everything that she owns. One thing about God working in us, like a small boy with five loaves and two fish, He'll use anything we have. And there is absolutely nothing too small for God to work with. Well, receiving his direction from God, Elisha told her to do something very strange. And in verses 3 and 4 he said, What I want you to do is to go around, ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each one is filled up, put it off to the side. I imagine this poor widow is thinking that Elisha is a little nuts at this point, or at least she has a lot more faith than I would have in this type of a situation. I mean, what a strange thing to ask of her. Instead of to go around to all the neighbors and ask them for food or money or help or support, to go around to the entire neighborhood and ask for a bunch of empty jars it seems a little bit ridiculous. And then to pour this little amount of oil that she has into all the jars that she 
collects. Don't underestimate what an incredible act of faith this really is because this little bit of oil is all she has left. That oil probably pays for the last bit of food that she and her boys can afford before they get taken away. And now he wants her to pour that out. To spread it so thin that it can never be really used or valued as the commodity that it is when it's all together. It took guts. But she did it. It, It's funny. It seems that somehow, some way, we find the faith to do whatever it is that God asks us to do when our backs are up against the wall. Are you any different about that? Because it sure seems that that's the way it is in my life. The thing about God working in us is he doesn't much care what the neighbors think, and so he sends her out to get all these jars. He doesn't really care if everybody else thinks it's all just crazy. He just asks us to follow him, to be obedient to him wholeheartedly. He asks us to empty ourselves out so that he can pour himself in. You see, these empty jars are metaphors for our lives. A jar that is empty has really no value. A jar that's full of bad stuff, that's even worse because it gets thrown away. But a jar full of something Precious becomes something of great value. That's something worth keeping. And God wants to be that thing in your jar. And like Greg displayed in that first week of the series... That doesn't mean that our jars are just suddenly full of church and Bible study and prayer and that's the only thing in our jar. We have to live our lives. It's just that God wants to be in everything that we do. He wants to permeate every aspect of our lives. He wants us to live a life where we are connected to Him, that we have this vibrancy in our relationship with Him. A life that is God-filled, and just like he asked the widow to trust him and to pour everything out that she had, he asked us to do the same, to pour out all the junk in our lives so that he can fill us with something way more valuable. And I really believe, from personal experience, that the emptying out part of the Christian life is the hardest part of the Christian life where we're constantly letting go of all the junk that we've accumulated through the years, all the bad habits, all the stuff, all the bad desires, the stuff that has no meaning, the stuff that has no value. It's the painful process of ridding ourselves of all of our desires for the wrong stuff in this world so that we can be filled up with all the right stuff, so that we have capacity to be filled up with a passion for God. Well, it goes on in verses 5 and 6, and it says, The widow left him, and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she just kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, 
there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. So the widow and her sons filled their house with every jar and container that they could find, that they could get their hands on from the neighborhood. And the miracle was that as they poured the oil, the oil just kept on flowing and flowing and flowing until every jar was full. There was more oil that was beyond their wildest imagination, but when they finally ran out of space, when they finally ran out of capacity, the oil stopped. And in verse 7, she went and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, go, sell the oil, pay off your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. Here's like the point of the story. We want to end as we began, and that is this. When you run out of space, when you run out of capacity, it stops. When you run out of space and capacity for God in your life, because it's filled with all the wrong stuff, God stops flowing into your life because there is just no room for him, and we lose our connection. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, He's like a jar full of the wrong stuff and he is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burnt. While there is a whole lot of stuff jammed up in that passage, there is just one word that I think is the focus of those verses and that is the word remain. Jesus promises that if we remain in him, then he will also remain in us. The idea there is that if we stay connected to Jesus, then he will abide in us. Notice, though, that he puts the onus on us. If, if we stay connected to him, if we remain in him, then he will remain in us. So how do we do that? How do we remain in him? When you go back to the original word remain, and you look at the translation, it comes up as this, to stay in a place, to stand against opposition, to stay still, and to endure. Not very exciting. Most of the time, There is no wow factor in our relationship with God. No big wave of emotion that causes us to grow. There is no magical formula, no big mystery. There's no big miracle that just pops us into this amazing growth pattern in God. It's just plain old walking every single day in Jesus. Day in and day out, standing firm and enduring in our faith, remaining in Him. 90% of the Christian faith, as they say in sports, 
is just showing up. Being consistent in what God asks us to do. The Christian faith is about showing up every Sunday morning in church. Not because you feel guilty, not because you're afraid you're going to go to hell if you don't show up in church, but it's because God created the church and we need that weekly reconnection. It's about showing up during the worship time, and instead of us just standing there, that we actually begin to sing, or if those of us who can't sing, make a joyful noise. And to get caught up in the worship and praise of our Creator. Letting yourself get lost in that moment, and feeling that connection to God. It's about showing up during the offering time and making giving just as much a part of our faith as anything else because that's what God asks us to do. It's about showing up for our small groups every week or in our ministry area where we're serving. Most of the Christian faith is about filling ourselves up with the stuff of God and showing up every day in the Bible and having a time of of quiet time or showing up every day in prayer, no matter where you're at, just having a time between you and God. The biggest part of the Christian faith is emptying ourselves out of the wrong stuff and filling ourselves up with the stuff of God so that we can be filled up with something valuable. Something that has meaning. And it's not just one of those things that contributes to our growth. It's all of it. It's the whole package because it's a lifestyle that we take on that keeps us filled and connected with the presence of God. And I have to tell you that I face the same struggle in my life, especially after this last week. I have a business world that wants to just fill my jar up so that I don't have capacity for one more thing. And I have to, and I find myself, I have to fight and to scrape and to struggle to keep my connection with God strong. I have to work my rear end off to keep all the stuff that shouldn't be in there out so that I can let the stuff of God in and believe it or not, The competition of the stuff that wants to be in your jar is absolutely overwhelming. But out of all the stuff that we can fill the lives, the jars of our lives up with, God wants it to be filled with just one thing. Him. That in every aspect of our lives, we walk, we endure, We stand still. We remain in him. I don't have the secret to keeping a connection with God in your life. Best I can figure, it really is this constant daily process of scraping and struggling and emptying out all of the junk of this world so that we can fill our hearts with Jesus. But just to cut to the chase this morning, ask yourself this. If you knew your time on this earth was limited, how would you spend it? 
what would you get rid of? What would you fill your life with? How would you live differently? Just showing up every day in God. Remaining in Jesus, I promise, will change your life forever. And it will give you what you so desperately seek. Empty yourselves out of the wrong stuff. Fill yourself up with the stuff of God. Remain in Him. And allow your tired, weary soul to be restored. And a simple revolution will transform your life.